Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled Bronchoscopy, EBUS, TBNA, and CT Guided Biopsy is brought to you by the American College of Chest Physicians and supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals, an educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, and an independent medical education grant from Merck Sharp and Dome Corporation. Before starting this activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Good evening. On behalf of the American College of Chess Physicians and my co-chair, Dr. Septimiu Margu from the University of Chicago, I'm Eric Edel, and I'd like to welcome you to this second webinar in a series of five webinars on lung cancer management in the time of crisis and beyond. We're very honored and privileged to have two international and national speakers with us today to discuss the topic of this webinar, which is bronchoscopy, EBIS, TBNA, and CT-guided biopsy in the management of lung cancer. Our first speaker, uh, both of our speakers probably, probably don't need a lot of introduction to the audience, but our first speaker will be Fabian Maldonado. Dr. Maldonado is Professor of Medicine and Thoracic Surgery at Vanderbilt University and also Professor of Mechanical Engineering. He'll be followed by Professor uh, Nicole Tanner from the Medical University of South Carolina. Dr. Maldonado, would you please take the slide deck? First of all, thank you so much for the kind invitation. This particular session is going to focus on the diagnostic approach to indeterminate pulmonary nodules. And I will start by pointing out the obvious fact that when we do biopsies of uh, lung nodules, we try to do a number of things in the same setting, establish the diagnosis, but also establish staging if we can, and that it typically involves staging the mediastinum for us bronchoscopists, but also provide enough material for ancillary testing. By that, I mean molecular testing. So here are some of the options we have available to us. Historically, I think CT-guided biopsy has been the traditional route for biopsies. We get great uh, data, at least from a quantitative standpoint, perhaps not qualitative standpoint. And the typical downsides that are referenced for CT-guided biopsy is the rate of pneumothorax, which is about 15% in a large population study, 6% really requiring chest tube, and 1% hemorrhage. But in fact, I think the main downsides of this procedure compared to bronchoscopy is that you can only biopsy one target lesion, but more importantly, staging of the mediastinum is not possible. Now, bronchoscopy, on the other hand, may allow you to do this thing. Conventional bronchoscopy, however, and here I'm talking about the conventional uh, bronchoscope with a C-arm, uh, is not particularly accurate. Here's a very simple algorithm of uh, the way I would approach bronchoscopy versus CT-guided biopsy. And in fact, to be quite honest with you, for those that would benefit from either or. We have a multi-center randomized controlled trial going on right now where we're randomizing patients uh, uh, for navigation bronchoscopy versus CT-gated biopsy. But here's a pretty obvious uh, uh, self-explanatory algorithm. If you have abnormal lymph nodes, obviously you're going to favor bronchoscopy. The diagnosis will probably probably be reached with EBUS. And if you have several lung nodules that you think are amenable to bronchoscopy, then you you probably should go for that as well. Otherwise, I think transthoracic uh, needle aspiration remains the gold standard to this day. I think a major concern with navigation bronchoscopy to this day is the problem of so-called CT body divergence. All navigation platforms operate on the basis of a pre-op CT 
which is very different than the long volume we're tackling during the bronchoscopy. So we, we have new tools available uh, to try to deal with this CT body divergence. For better or for worse, uh, uh, I think uh, robotic bronchoscopy is unlikely to uh, go away and get randomized data anytime soon. Another possible way to deal with these uh, limitations of current navigational bronchoscopy system is to use the Cunbeam CT, but quite frankly, it doesn't really tell you what to do with the images once you've navigated and how to uh, correct your uh, trajectory. So I think this is still a work in progress. There are ways to deal with this uh, divergence using cheaper methods than Cunbeam CT and more accessible uh, techniques. There are two platforms on the market right now looking at uh, augmenting uh, conventional fluoroscopy by obtaining digital tomosynthesis images. Here's one system. The idea here is simple. You're going to rotate the C-arm around the patient and hopefully make visible what were before uh, fluoroscopically invisible nodules. But this is a CT, and I will show you now uh, the digital tomosynthesis image, uh, which is very similar to your coronal CT image. So this allows us to uh, uh, redirect and recalibrate the system to go after the target lesion more effectively. Our diagnostic accuracy was about 77%. Now you're going to say this is not that great uh, for us before digital tomosynthesis with the expertise that we have with navigational bronchoscopy doing over 400 cases a year, our yield was about 55%. So this is a significant uh, increment in diagnostic yield. Thank you, Dr. Maldonado. <clears throat> now it's, uh, it is time to move on to the next uh, speaker, um, Dr. Tanner. Great. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's a hard act to follow Dr. Maldonado. Um, he spent a lot of great time talking about the procedures done uh, when you're suspicious of a nodule, but I think we need to start at the beginning and we'll talk about pro pulmonary nodule assessment. So how do we manage nodules? There are a series of guidelines that have been put together uh, by some very bright folks, including the CHESS guidelines, um, most recently published in 2013, now under uh, current uh, redo. There is the British Thoracic Society guidelines, which was published in 2015. And then most recently, the Fleischer Society guidelines uh, that were published in 2017. So there are guidelines for these, uh, and I would encourage everybody to take a look. So all of the guidelines really have some key components that are similar across. And so really, in general, the workup of these nodules are based on the likelihood of malignancy. What we know is that there's really lack of high-quality evidence for any of the guidelines, and there are trade-offs for patients, uh, and this really depends on patient level uh, concern, as well as the shared decision-making. So it's important to talk about patient preferences, especially around these risk thresholds that are arguably arbitrarily assigned. So there are recommendation categories uh, overall, and then the smaller nodules that are solid and less than eight millimeters, solid nodules that are greater than eight millimeters, and the sub-solid nodules. Now I tell you each of these categories warrants its own uh, discussion, but for the purpose of this, we'll, we'll be general. So what you can do as it relates to assessing pretested probability of malignancy, which is what you should do every time a nodule comes across your monitor, is ask yourself what's the likelihood of cancer. Now, you can do that with a gut check or clinical intuition, or there are a number of really great validated risk models. However, when you use these risk models, it's really dependent on the prevalence of malignancy. So when you look at the VA model, also known as the Gould model, this was developed in a population with a 40% cancer rate. Uh, the Mayo Clinic model, which was developed from a, a large cohort of chest x-rays, was um, 
found what uh, was developed in a, a group that had a 24% cancer rate. Now, when you look at the Brock model, which was developed in a screen detected population, the prevalence of malignancy was three to five percent. So, well, before you apply the model, you have to ask yourself, what is this patient like? Is this a screen detected nodule? If so, maybe you should be using the Brock model. Um, is it a general community patient? Maybe the Mayo model. If you're fortunate enough to work with the VA, perhaps the VA model. So for any nodule, you assess the likelihood of, of cancer. You use clinical judgment or a risk calculator. If the patient is low risk, then serial imaging might be uh, a reasonable thing to do. And depending on which uh, set of guidelines you look at, the CHESS guidelines mark that as less than or equal to 5%. The British Thoracic Society guidelines are a bit more generous at a 10% risk threshold. If the person is at intermediate risk, which is probably the largest bucket and what we see the most of, anywhere between 5 and 65% for the CHESS guidelines, 10 to 70% for the British Thoracic Society guidelines, really it's everything, right? You can do a PET scan, you can do a biopsy, but it's really important to talk to the patient, right? Uh, and then in anything greater than 65%, if the patient is considered a good surgical candidate and the lesion is in a location that is amenable to a wedge biopsy, um, this would be someone you could consider taking straight to surgery versus doing a biopsy. But there's obviously some nuances there. If the lesion is very central and would require a lobectomy, it might be that your uh, friendly thoracic surgeon would like to know that it is in fact cancer before taking them for a lobectomy. So there are a lot of things um, that come into play. So those are guidelines for what do we as physicians do. Um, we've done a number of uh, studies that show that doctors don't necessarily follow the guidelines. And so in one uh, observational review of 33 outpatient pulmonary clinics with uh, patients uh, being referred with incidentally detected pulmonary nodules, interesting, the prevalence of malignancy matched that of the Mayo co cohort at 25%. And we found that 44% of low-risk patients, that's with a, a pretest probability of less than 5%, had an invasive procedure for benign disease. And so these are um, it's kind of shocking and alarming, really. Uh, and there was also no difference in the rate of surgical resection for nodules based on pretest probability of cancer. And another um, assessment of physician assessed pretest probability for malignancy uh, relating to the adherence for guidelines for evaluation and a prospective trial of over 337 patients with a higher prevalence of malignancy at 47%. It actually showed that physician assessed uh, pretest probability be did better than nodule prediction calculators. So clinician felt did better, uh, but physicians didn't follow, despite being better, uh, the indicated guidelines in selecting the next test in 61% of cases. Low-risk patients were managed more aggressively 52% of the time, and high-risk patients were managed more conservatively 75% of the time, which is good, and that 92% of those with benign disease avoid surgery. So, um, you know, again, guidelines are just meant to be just that guidelines, and there's a lot that comes into play. Um, so as we evaluate pulmonary nodules, what do we have beyond pretest probability? This uh, hub and spoke, spoke just kind of illustrates all of the many um, areas of, of development, including radiomics, proteomics, bronchoscopy procedural, procedures, exhaled uh, breath analysis for volatile organic compounds. There are just so many things. I should throw a spoke in there for AI that combines all of these. It's a very exciting time. So what about proteomics or all things biomarker related? I just throw this up because there are biomarkers available um, for everything. And so you can use a biomarker to assess a patient's individual risk for developing cancer. And then when you have a nodule, you can do a biomarker to assess whether a nodule is benign 
or malignant. And then uh, further, when someone has a cancer diagnosis, you can use biomarkers to uh, comment on prognostic value, uh, diagnostic, and then, of course, personalized treatment as we, we talk about all of the um, biomarkers that are being drawn in those with uh, advanced cancer and even uh, early stage cancer nowadays. Um, but really, we want a biomarker to improve the accuracy of clinician judgment, uh, the risk calculators, PET imaging, a loaner in combination. So we want something that's going to improve on what is already out there. The accuracy of the biomarker should be high enough to suggest that it could move the pretest probability of malignancy beyond a decision threshold. And again, the consequences of applying the biomarker, if the result is interpreted as positive or negative, is to lead to improved clinical outcomes for our patients, right? Um, so an earlier diagnosis of malignant nodule without a substantial increase in procedures performed in patients with benign nodules or fewer procedures for patients with benign nodules without delaying a diagnosis of cancer in patients with malignant nodules. So these are kind of the trade-offs that we have to think about. And so really, I would just have you read this, but in bold, we should insist on additional evidence of clinical utility before changing practice. And so this is a real quick snapshot of all of the different biomarkers that are out and where they are and what categories um, they are suggested for. I'd like to again thank our expert panelists for an excellent presentation. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Thank you. This activity was part of a seven-part series brought to you by the American College of Chest Physicians and supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals, an educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, and an independent medical education grant from Merck Sharp and Dome Corporation. To receive your free CME credit or to view other activities in this series, go to reachmd.com CME. This is CME on ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.